Hello everyone, I hope you are doing well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen and I want to welcome you to our Futurist Blue podcast, a place to discuss about Europe's economic and policy-related challenges. And this is a Funcas Europe and Agenda Publica initiative. And we hope we can bring in new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, today we're joined by Orsola Constantini, Economic Affairs Officer at UNCTAD. Orsola, thank you for joining. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. And, and Orsola is talking to us from Milan, and I'm based in, I'm talking to you f from Brussels. And now we're traveling to Madrid to say hello to Raymond Torres. Hello, Raymond. Hello. Happy to join in for this podcast with Orsola. Okay, Raymond, uh, Funcas Europe Director. Um, so let's start. We're here to talk about Italy and the, the prospects for the economic situation in Italy, especially after Mario Draghi became the leader of, of, of Italy a couple of weeks ago. And so Italy is the, the third largest economy in the European Union behind uh, Germany and France, but it's also one of the countries uh, most affected by COVID, probably due to Uh, its dependency on tourism and the hospitality sectors, uh, among other reasons, of course. Um, so I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you to start this conversation about the prospects for the Italian economy in 2021. Uh, Orsola, so what is your uh, opinion in this regard? Italy has been, uh, as they say, the sick man of Europe for a while, and certainly uh, we can say that since. 2010, there has been uh, 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 the situation has worsened significantly. Actually, in the first decade of 2000, Italy wasn't doing that bad compared to other countries uh, in the euro area, even. Uh, but it's uh, after uh, the debt crisis and uh, the second and the double deep recession of the eurozone that really things started uh, going uh, pretty badly in terms of uh, gdp growth for sure very low even uh, contractions in some years um, productivity uh, still stagnant uh, even though uh, real wages uh, still couldn't keep up with it um, The situation, I mean, we can, we can describe the situation. It's pretty bleak on various levels. Um, we have, in 2019, there was 30% youth unemployment. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it's very high, but it's also much higher than it was in 2007. It was only 20% back then. Um, not unlike many other countries in Southern Europe, after all. So we sh do share this, uh, this uh, tendency uh, since 2010. Thank you, Orsola. So Raymond, the crisis uh, arrived in Italy after a, a rather complicated decade uh, that Orsola just described. So, so what are the prospects for this year? Yes, I very much share the, the diagnosis of, uh, of Orsola and, and would say For this year, a bit like in the case of Spain, uh, the, the prospects uh, very much depend on uh, two issues. First of all, the extent to which the vaccine rollout is fast enough in order to, little by little, unlock the, um, 
demand potential that exists in Italy as well as in other European countries associated with both tourism, you know, Italy is of course a very important tourism uh, country, uh, but also in terms of its own internal demand with many people having saved much more than was the case before the crisis. So I think unlocking this uh, kind of uh, latent demand potential is extremely important for the prospects of Italy. And the second uh, element, of course, very important, has to do with the management of uh, the European uh, investment funds, I mean, or rather investment funding from the European uh, recovery project, which is the next generation EU. So these two issues will be extremely important in terms of uh, Italy little by little recovering from this very serious crisis. And overall, I think it is to be expected that there will, there will be some recovery of economic growth this year. The beginning will be very tough. Uh, this, uh, the present quarter, there might even be a contraction, a further contraction in GDP, small, but yet some contraction in GDP. So the start will be very slow and weak, but the second part of the year should be much better. And overall, we should see growth. But I think the most important will be not only the recovery, the rebound, uh, which can be expected, but also whether you know, the new government can put Italy into a, a sustainable expansionary path. And for this, we need a number of reforms. Italy will need a number of reforms in order to uh, really uh, beef up productivity growth, in order to improve human capital. A bit like in Spain, there is a lot of uh, problems with the education system, with many early school dropouts and other factors which in a way depress productivity and make it difficult for Italy to have not only recover this year, but on a sustainable basis, uh, go into a sustainable uh, growth path. So, so now we have uh, Mario Draghi and, and he said precisely that his two priorities are vaccination and EU funds. And I wonder whether he, he can make a difference in terms of, of having a new, a new leadership. So how much uh, policy space does he, does he have? I mean, he has more authority because he, he has, let's say, nothing to lose because he does not belong to a traditional political party and he's here specifically to solve a problem. Uh, how much room does he have, uh, Ursula? What, what is your view on that? Well, I guess the, the first question is, what does he want to do, actually? And we are not quite sure yet because uh, he hasn't really expressed uh, in much detail what his plans are. And of course, that might be uh, one consequence of the fact that his coalition, uh, the coalition that supports his government, is pretty diverse. So he'll expect to have to negotiate with all of them uh, before coming out with uh, some uh, precise plan. Uh, but uh, what we know um, is basically from his uh, inaugural speech, which was pretty instructive on some levels, and from uh, uh, what we can expect to be even the people that he appointed in uh, certain uh, positions. And as you said, uh, you're right, uh, he mentioned, of course, the emergency, the vaccination and all that. Uh, on many levels, uh, he, he you know, expressed continuity from the previous governments on all these aspects. Uh, but uh, what he did express uh, that perhaps could be not in continuity uh, con have to do 
uh, with the fiscal, through the tax reform and uh, with the pension reform for sure, uh, which are two things that uh, anyway the, the European Commission asked, uh, to, asked Italy to do, um, together with the reform of justice. Uh, and I, I can say a few words about the tax reform if you want, and there's also uh, something he mentioned about the public administration, which might be important uh, to understand what he might have in mind. He, uh, regarding, uh, but regarding who he put in charge, uh, there were some pretty clear signals there too. So, for example, he appointed as an economic advisor uh, Francesco Giavazzi, who is, uh, as you know, someone who's not exactly a Keynesian uh, and someone who, uh, you know, has written a lot about tax reforms. Uh, and uh, so, and we, if you want, we can talk about that uh, later. Uh, another person, key person he, he appointed is Renato Brunetta, who is uh, someone from uh, Forza Italia, the party of uh, Berlusconi, uh, in a, a ministry on public administration. And he's, uh, he's, he's also an economist, and he, in, in the past, uh, he essentially built a political career out of saying that uh, public employees should be more productive and they are lazy and they we should work more. So we should expect also on that front uh, some kind of uh, reform that tries to, um, you know, in some way, uh, generate more efficiency uh, without necessarily uh, uh, making it depend on more investment in the sector. I guess that, uh, so what space does he have? In Italy, uh, we, it depends on what he's planning to do. And I think that regarding the tax reform is going to be uh, very complex because there are, uh, as you know, there's a big problem of ta tax evasion and we don't know if uh, Draghi even wants to address that. He said it would uh, in the inaugural speech, but everybody does. So we'll see if he actually wants to do it, but certainly policy space is very tight for that. So we hope that at least that's the one thing that uh, it would be useful to have a technical prime minister for. Right? Um, uh, he might certainly have uh, carry more credibility in an international space, especially international finance. And that might mean that we could have, we could enjoy uh, more uh, flexibility in spending, in public spending. Even though I have to say that the previous government did quite well in that regard, uh, pushing the, uh, the rules uh, in the European context. Thank you. Someone has said that uh, his priority may be on maximizing impact rather than being uh, re-elected. I don't know, Raymond, what, what can we, um, considering what we know so far, and we don't know the whole program, but what is your uh, opinion on the uh, economic, economic policy space that he may have? Yes, I, I would say that um, uh, the, in, the, in the short run, he has much more space than previous uh, prime ministers of previous Italian governments. Uh, no, uh, first of all, as Orsola says, because of the international credibility of uh, Mario Draghi, I think clearly markets, uh, the European Commission itself, European institutions are ready to give him, let's say, the benefit of the doubt or you know, considerable credibility and, and space for implementing new policies. So that's one, one element, one positive element in his favour. In addition, also in the short run, the, 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 the monetary conditions that he himself created when he was head of the Central Bank, the European Central Bank, 
I mean, are uh, another plus for him because, of course, the ECB is, uh, has provided a, a very significant uh, monetary stimulus and the, the purchase of, of government bonds, including Italian bonds, of course, uh, associated with the pandemic, this PEPP program, uh, will continue uh, probably until the end of uh, next year at least, and, and, and later on much of it will be reinvested. So I think there is considerable room for manoeuvre and the result of this is low interest rates. So I think this plays a certain role and it facilitates, you know, it gives space, at least from the monetary side, and also even from the fiscal side because of the EU funds. Um, I mean, this is another, another plus he has as well. Uh, and, and it certainly facilitates enormously. In the case of Italy, it's up to, from what I understand, nearly 200 billion euro. So this is what we are talking about. Very significant, um, in a way, space there. But of course, this is only in the short run. This, if, uh, it very much depends on whether this uh, space which he has in the short run, he uses it wisely in order to open for more space later on in the medium to longer run. So in a way, it very much depends on whether the reforms are also, as like mentioning, like tax reform, for example. I would say also the reform of the state, a bit like in Spain, uh, state institutions need to be beefed up and work better. Uh, there are things to do from the point of view of the labour market, for active labour market policies, education and so on. So, uh, in a way, he, the, the idea, I suppose, will be to do these reforms, which all other governments wanted to do in the past, but they couldn't because they didn't have, in a way, compensation mechanisms. And maybe with the EU funds, it would be possible for Draghi and his government to do some of the difficult reforms, but provide some compensation so that it will be easier to, to buy politically, to, to pursue politically and implement politically though, those measures which are so difficult to do. So space in the short run and in the medium term, it depends on whether he uses that space, which is available now and probably still next year, if, whether he uses it, the, 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 that space wisely. Yeah, in fact, Italy could have access to uh, substantial funds out of those 700, 750 billion euros of the recovery funds. But the question is, uh, is Italy ready to spend them uh, wisely and, and even more wisely now that Draghi is in, in charge? Ursula, what do we know so far about the plans to spend those funds? Well, uh, so what we know so far is that uh, the, the part that um, had already been planned by the previous government, uh, which is uh, around uh, 7 billion uh, public investments in infrastructures, has been confirmed. And that's going to be the uh, fastest uh, and first uh, um, measure to be implemented. And everything else is still a bit uh, up in the air. Um, let me say that uh, Italy has been running uh, fiscal primary surpluses since the 1990s. Okay, so that means that uh, the government has actually subtracted resources from the uh, from the economy from from then on. Um, this means that um, you know any strong uh, or even if not that strong, any expansionary uh, measure right now is going to be uh, very useful and it's going probably even uh, create a, a small boom, economic boom. Uh, whether that is going to really create the, uh, the conditions for a, a structural transformation of the Italian economy, which has lost competitiveness for uh, decades and where 
the labor share of income has decreased. Uh, it's the steepest decrease in, in the uh, one of the steepest in, in the in the euro in the EU. Uh, that's another story. So we can have a stimulus that even uh, generate a small boom in the short run, uh, but uh, whether like. Whether that is going to really uh, be long-standing, we don't know. And also, you know, speaking of credibility, international credibility, what made me think uh, is that uh, right now there's a consensus uh, that uh, we should, the countries should keep spending. Even uh, organizations that typically do not give that sort of advice, like the IMF are saying that, uh, but we know uh, from the past crisis that these type of consensus can change pretty quickly. So uh, regardless of the uh, standing of uh, Draghi in the international context, the international context can change as well. So uh, I'm not that optimistic in that sense. How I, You mentioned credibility, and I think, uh, Raymond, what we can say for sure is that uh, the arrival of Draghi has, has brought some uh, extra credibility. I think he's so well respected. He's the man who saved the, saved the euro. I mean, he, he was not alone in that effort, but he was the most visible face uh, saving the euro. So I think this is, this is going to give a, an extra boost of confidence for Italy when it comes to getting support from other European countries and even alliances? Yes, I, I totally agree. And uh, indeed, uh, not only uh, uh, does this give him credibility at home and in markets and, uh, well, you know, in international fora, but in addition to that, I think he can, uh, at least in the beginning, it can give him a, a strong position in order to uh, reform the, the Eurozone itself. I mean, remember that uh, if European countries at the moment are undertaking this expansionary policy in order to respond to the crisis, and if the European Union as such also is, uh, has, has decided on this big package, this next generation EU package, it's because um, it, there has been some agreement to suspend the EU fiscal rules, which normally tie countries together and make it difficult to, you know, um, run a number of policies and uh, this is actually why indeed Italy has, has had a, a, a surplus you know in its in its public budgets you know so uh, and, and so it's very important that uh, so at the moment these fiscal rules are in suspension has been suspended but the the at some point there will have to be a discussion about what to do with them uh, they actually um, this week there has been already some uh, people in the Commission making proposals and saying that at least those this suspension of fiscal rules should continue until the end of next year. But in any case, inevitably, the issue will come at some point. Uh, what happens with the fiscal rules and should they continue to be the same? I believe that uh, those fiscal rules have proved, let's say, I mean, one can say inefficient, at least inefficient, in the sense that they, first of all, they were uh, often not respected and, and and if they, they were respected, they were respected in a procyclical manner. So, in fiscal policy, has been procyclical. In other words, instead of supporting the economy when the economy needs support, those rules have have have, have acted uh, in the in the other the other way around. The only exception has been this pandemic crisis. And so, there is something fundamental that needs to be to be fundamentally changed. And, and vice versa, when there is an expansion, the fiscal rules have been insufficient in order to make progress 
on the correction of fiscal deficits. So I think there is a problem with the rules. And I think Mario Draghi, the credibility of Mario Draghi will also hopefully serve to modify those rules uh, in order to do whatever it takes, not only to save the euro as he did already, but to do whatever it takes to save, let's say, the economic project of Europe. Whatever it takes to uh, to save the, the the economic project of Europe and to prevent maybe uh, a growing divergence between uh, the European economies. Because I wanted to, to to end this chat asking you about the prospects for seeing more divergence between EU economies and and the risks that that represents, like seeing Europe. Uh, becoming more divided and more unequal after this pandemic, because of course the virus has uh, no borders, but it's affecting some countries more than more than others. So, uh, Ursula, what is your what is your reaction to this topic? Well, um, first of all, I agree with what Raymond just said. Uh, it's true that I, at least personally, hope that uh, Draghi will be able to really improve uh, and pro progress the debate on. Uh, probably even uh, something closer to a fiscal union in Europe. And precisely for the reasons you, you just mentioned, Carlos, that uh, uh, we are in a situation which there has been a divergence uh, between northern and southern countries uh, in the Eurozone. Uh, the reasons for that divergence uh, have not been fixed. And uh, the re reaction to the pandemic probably will uh, will exact exacerbate them. But let me say this: that we have been criticizing Germany for not uh, spending enough, for not boosting internal demand enough, and now we are saying, "Oh, they are going to be able to spend more than the others, and this is going to create a problem." <laughs> And, you know, and that's exactly the type of uh, you know, incongruency that we need to address. The point is, yes, they need to spend more, but we need to do so in a coordinated way. And you can have, you know, uh, the European Union uh, and the Euro area in particular have been the most affected in terms of, of GDP uh, by the pandemic in, uh, globally. And still, the latest data about the uh, fiscal balance uh, of Germany is uh, a deficit of 7%. So it's really small compared to, to the US, compared to UK. Um, but that doesn't mean that still they spent more, they spent more than uh, compared to GDP than Italy did or Spain did or even France did. So that means that the economy was strong enough to be able to give in terms of, of, uh, of uh, receipts to, to, to you know, um, provide uh, tax receipts uh, strongly enough to uh, create a smaller uh, deficit than in every other country. That means that the, the, the weight uh, of the, the recovery is not well distributed in the area, in an area that is so interconnected. Uh, Raymond, I need to ask you about what Ursula just said because I think it's so interesting. So we've been uh, blaming or, or criticizing Germany for not spending too much over the last years, and finally she got Germany got the bazooka ready, and now it's too much for <laughs> it's too much to for others to to digest. What do you think? Yeah, I mean the problem is that the the, the whole discussion about Germany not spending enough before, and now some countries are worried that they spend too much, and therefore it improves its competitiveness because some of the spending is about state aid 
to support its enterprise sector and boost even further its competitiveness. I think this is in a way the result of, I mean, the, the problem is that much of the discussion of uh, European economic policy has been about what individual countries should be doing. I think, of course, this is extremely important in a, in a European Union, but we didn't uh, pay enough attention to what Europe should be doing as such at the European-wide level. And I think, the, 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 in a way, the European Recovery Fund is the first step, hopefully, towards a real European-wide economic policy, uh, because it's very difficult to um, both, uh, I mean, meet, I mean, tackle the uh, divergences within Europe and improve economic performance in general of the, the Union if the, at the European level there is, there is not enough of a European-wide economic policy. And for this you need one of the conditions to have a real budgetary policy which responds to cycles, responds to cycles in, a, in an anti-cyclical way, in other words, when there is a crisis like now, there is a real boost at the European-wide level, which is distributed across countries according to the extent to which they are affected, and vice versa, when there is an expansion, that uh, kind of stabilising element is contracting, of course. But that facility, this ability to respond to the cycle has to be there at the European-wide level. It's one of the preconditions, because otherwise we have to rely on individual countries, and individual countries tend to do what is in their own interest. That's the nature of, of, of a country, of a nation. And right or wrong, that's, that's the case. And so I think, I hope that the debate will shift from blaming individual countries to putting more emphasis on what we can do at the individual wide level. This is a necessary condition, of course not sufficient. Still, each country should do something because there, is, there are dysfunctional elements in Italy, in Spain, and also in Germany, because there are things to be done in Germany, in Germany as well, and in every country. But the, the, I think we should talk a lot more about a European-wide economic policy. So EU-wide economic policy would make a difference. Maybe the seed of that EU economic policy is the recovery funds and, and, and putting this remarkable amount of money together. Maybe this is a positive signal. Um, I think we need to leave it here, uh, but I want to thank both of you for a, for a great discussion. I think this is very interesting and I think we're going we're gonna to keep an eye on Italy and then the rest of the EU seeing how recovery takes shape and finally we get, get over with this uh, uh, pandemic and lockdowns. So um, Orsola Constantini, Economic Affairs Officer at UNCTAD, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Thank you for joining, Raymond. Thanks, it was a great moment. Thanks. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers to talk about Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funkas Europe and Agenda Publica initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and the production of this podcast is carried out by Franco de Ledone. Thank you all.